Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What does Sputnik have to do with student loans? How did a set of trembling hands end the Soviet Union? How did inflation kill moon bases? And how did a former president decide to run for a second non-consecutive term? These are among the topics we deal with on the My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. We tell stories of history that relate to today's news events. Give a listen. My History Can Beat Up Your Politics wherever you get podcasts. Hello and welcome to our very first episode of Plotting Through the Presidents. I'm Howard Dory, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Jessica Dory. Hello. So we're going to be taking a somewhat irreverent look into some lesser-known stories about the American presidents, uh, myths, mysteries, scandals, and just fun, weird, underground stories. I'm a history enthusiast, and I've been blogging about the presidents for a few years now. Which has gotten me into history as well. Jess has served as my self-proclaimed editor-in-chief, always challenging me to put out my best work. Jess doesn't know what story I'm going to be talking about in each episode. Uh, she might be familiar with some of these stories that I'll be sharing in the first season as I've written about them in some form or another, uh, but there should be plenty of new insights along the way. I'm really excited. I've been really waiting to hear what this first episode is going to be for a while now, and so uh, the anticipation is killing me. In this, our inaugural episode, I'm going to be focusing on a story <laughs> about one of my favorite presidents, Oh, John it? Adams. John Adams. Yes. Oh, so one of your favorites. Yes. John Adams is my favorite. Well, good. You might enjoy this. <laughs> uh, I'm going to focus on John and what is inarguably one of the very best things about him. Uh, now, if you had to guess, what would you say is the best thing about John Adams? Let's see. My favorite thing about John Adams was his relationship with his wife and how she had her fingers in decisions that he made. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, I was right. The best thing about John Adams is, without a doubt, Abigail Adams. Yes. First, I need you to help me set the scene. Okay. Are you ready? I'm, I hope so. Okay. It's Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. The year is 1764. There's no modern conveniences. No modern medicine, no electricity, terrible cell reception. It was basically like camping every single day, but uh, in a house. We, we don't camp very well, so this sounds like a nightmare. It probably was a nightmare. We I, probably I, would have divorced by now I, that if wasn't this really, was our lives. That wasn't much of an option. <laughs> we would have just waited until we died. Oh, gosh. So you are a little boy. Oh, I've always wanted to be a little boy. Great. You're on your way to school. I'm sorry you can't be a little girl because they didn't go to school back then. I'm sorry. The past is often terrible. Yeah, clearly. So, little boy, you have a fever. Your body aches. Mm. And you're nauseous. It's like my daily life you're describing right now. Sounds like you would fit in well back then. Uh, maybe. Maybe your family's been too busy farming or whatever to notice small red spots 
on your tongue and in your mouth. Oh, no. But you notice a rash on your face. Is it smallpox? You'll see. Is it measles? It's not good. Chickenpox. It's spreading on your arms and your legs. And you're just a child, but you know what's coming next. Do you want to know what comes next? Death. You wish. (laughs) The little sores in your mouth are going to break open. The little virus juice is going to ooze out into your mouth and throat, spread that virus all up in your body. I thought this was like a historical podcast. <laughs> this is this is historical. <laughs> so <laughs> the rash on your skin, it's going to develop sores. Those sores are going to fill up with a thick fluid. They're going to become hard pustules, like little peas under your skin. It's delicious. Yep. And they're going to form a crust and they're going to scab over. Uh, crust might be my least favorite word. Really? Ever. Yeah. Some people think pies. I think smallpox. So, yeah. There's that. Okay, continue, Wait, please. Pies? Pies. Crust. Oh, crust on gotcha. a pie. Yep. Okay. Yeah. There's Not a, me, though. No. Mm-mm. And there's a 30% chance that you'll die. And a 30% chance that your family members and your schoolmates who you're going to spread this to will die as well. Because, you guessed it, you have smallpox. Mm. I always thought about, I mean, was death just as painful for everyone back then? Or because it was expected... Was it some just facts of life? I think that they probably had more practice dealing with grief. Mm. That might be the only thing. I don't know if that made it any easier for them, though. Mm. Um, but happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and to you. So the first smallpox vaccine wasn't created until 1796. That's 30 years from now. There were no vaccines yet, but there was one way to prevent smallpox. It was called inoculation. But it was risky and really unpleasant. Uh, in 1764, John Adams, freshly engaged to that Spitfire Abigail, uh, he decided to get inoculated. Today, we're going to talk about John and Abigail Adams's separate smallpox inoculations, a little bit about the history of inoculation. And because this is set to come out around Valentine's Day, we're going to look at the awesome letters between them that came out of those quarantines. That's another reason I love John Adams and Abigail, because they wrote to each other and expressed all their feelings to each other within those letters, and it was an easy way to jump into their lives. Definitely. So John met Abigail when he was 23 and she was 15, and his friend Richard Cranch was courting her older sister. Um, at did that, that work out for them? Yeah, Richard Cranch did marry an Adams. I think they all they all married each other. It was oh. all a big happy family. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But at that time, John was a brand new country lawyer. Uh, He was from a farm. He was nothing special yet. Uh, He went to Harvard, so he was no slouch. But he was still just establishing himself. Mm -hmm. And he probably smelled faintly of manure. Mm. Maybe potential, but also manure. Is I mean, didn't they all? Um, Not everybody worked on a farm or had a farm. But they weren't bathing daily or weekly even. So they all smelled pretty bad. There were probably levels of smell. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, he probably cleaned himself up pretty well. But he had the essence of... Good wipe down. (laughs) But he was still a farm boy. Okay. In in some form, at least to Abigail's family. um, Because she was descended from a long line of politicians and clergy, important people. Smelled the worst. They smelled the worst. The clergy smelled the worst? (laughs) The politicians. Oh, uh, well, I could see how that might... Yeah. (laughs) 
Her father was a minister, but he was kind of liberal for his time. Uh, he didn't focus on fire and brimstone, and he wasn't trying to use hell to scare the hell out of people. Oh. He focused more on reason and morality, and these are things that really shaped Abigail. She was super intelligent, well-read, even though she didn't have a formal education because, you know, she was it a woman. sucked back then? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really hit it off the first time they met. Oh, really? Really. That sounds like us as well. Yeah. I mean, we hit it off, just not romantically. Right. Uh, they did not hit it off romantically. I mean, she was 15, but that was almost spinster back then. Um, <laughs> did they become friends? Not really. No. Hmm. John, they just didn't like each other at all. We don't know exactly how Abigail felt, but mm -hmm. John was still getting over his first love, Hannah Quincy. And all he could do was compare every other girl he met to her. Is that why they named their son John Quincy Adams? Is this... The Quincy family was in Abigail's ancestry. Oh. So, yeah, there were interrelations there. Oh. But no, John Quincy Adams was not named after uh, John Adams' first, <laughs> first love. love. I was going to say that sounds complicated. After meeting Abigail and her sisters, the Smith sisters, John wrote that he didn't like them. They weren't as good as Hannah because they lacked tenderness and fondness. Oh. Yeah. He defined fondness as doting love. Oh, wow. So this was the... Another sexist reflection of the times. Doting love. So in order... To show love, a woman would have to dote on her husband. For John right. Adams. For John Adams. Apparently, that surprises me. Apparently, in order to show love, a woman would have to dote on someone she just met for the very first time. Because this was the impressions that he wrote down after meeting her and her sisters once. Wow. They didn't dote on him like Hannah did. So far, he's losing points in my book. He was one of my favorites, and now I'm getting... Getting judgmental. Well, he was just 23, just out of college. So his frontal lobe wasn't even formed yet. Hardly. And he was just coming out of not really a breakup. He was about to propose to this girl, and then somebody else interrupted them. And that sounds like us as well. You mean our proposal? Well, your proposal. I didn't do anything. You basically had to kick those people out of the meadow. They were near our rock. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you also felt very much interrupted, but continue. <laughs> but I didn't give up. Oh, yeah, he gave up. So he didn't even think this would kick off with her at all. Somebody else proposed to her before he had a chance. What? Yeah. I didn't know this part. Yeah. But he considered it almost dodging a bullet later because he was so young, he didn't feel like he would have been really fully ready to support a family or be married. That's true, maybe. Yeah. A couple years later, when John and Abigail actually did get to know each other, there was no turning back. Uh, they were made for each other. Aww. He called her Miss Adorable. And Diana, <laughs> after the Greek goddess of the moon and hunting and purity. Oh, wow. And she called him her Lysander. <laughs> or Lysander. After the Spartan war hero. Wow. Yeah. Abigail's father, being a man of reason wasn't all that gung-ho about Abigail being with this country lawyer. Hmm. Uh, but I don't think anybody could ever stop Abigail from doing what she wanted. I think nowadays anyone would be happy to be with a country lawyer. Are you sometimes disappointed that I'm not a country <laughs> lawyer? Well, you're from the country, so there's that. There's that. <laughs> Their courtship lasted almost five years, and in 1764, they were engaged, and they were ready to be married, and that's when a smallpox epidemic 
tore through Massachusetts. Hmm. Um, it was the number one cause of death. Uh, one thing I found, okay, do you know what I think one of the worst parts of having smallpox back then would have been? No, what do you think the worst part is? The bells. The bells? The bells. Like, you know in The Sound of Music when the captain and Maria are getting married mm -hmm. and that boy is just going to town on the bells, like just ringing them right. and ringing them and ringing them? Yeah. That's what they did for funerals too. Mm. But in Massachusetts, there were so many people dying from smallpox that they had to put a limit on the number of rings per dead person. Ugh, it's depressing. It's, that's exactly why. They said you can't toll the bell any more than three times for each burial because it would be discouraging to all the people who are still sick. Mm. And what about the people who are celebrating something? Suddenly the bells aren't celebratory anymore. They're just for all these deaths. They're bells of death. Bells of death only. Yeah. I mean, I thought you were going to say the skin boils were the worst part. But no, it's bells, I guess, could, could be up there. Bells are up there. The physical symptoms, the pain, the suffering, and the death, right on par with the bells, oh, I would say. I see. Yeah. Hmm. Tells me a lot about your outlook. I just hate bells. <laughs> this epidemic, it was sweeping through the colony. Abigail's parents forbade her from getting inoculated. Why? It was relatively new, and there was a chance of death. It was Because it's basically inserting the virus into your skin. Exactly. Right? Okay. It's like, here's a young girl. She doesn't have smallpox. Hey, let's see what happens when we give her smallpox. I can see why they'd be against that. Not understanding the science of vaccines. For sure. Yeah. There was maybe a 3% chance of death from inoculation, which sounds pretty high now. Yeah. But there was a 30% chance of death from actually getting smallpox. Right. So, so it's risky. Uh, yeah, a calculated risk. John Adams, he was a country lawyer. He rode from town to town. He thought that he needed to get inoculated to do his job because you can't do lawyer stuff if you're dead. <laughs> right. Can't do much of anything, especially being a lawyer. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, so let me talk about inoculation a little bit and where it came from, what it was. Um, like you said, it's basically, it's a process of giving you a mild case of smallpox so you would be immune to it for the rest of your life. That was mm -hmm. the idea. If you get it and you survive, yay, you're good to go. It was actually practiced for hundreds of years in China and India um, mm. before it made its way to Turkey. Mm. And that's where Lady Mary Montague first saw it in action. She was the wife of the British ambassador to Turkey. And when she was in Turkey, she realized, hey, nobody has smallpox. Mm. It's tearing through England. What's going on? And she saw that there was this whole process where people would have these smallpox parties. A woman would come with a, a nutshell full of smallpox. <laughs> um, she'd scratch people It's like up. a Tupperware party, except the Tupperwares are holding an extra special little something yeah. to spread around. It's not lipsticks or gravy boats. It's um, smallpox. Wow, I, they knew how to party back then. They I feel really like do. some parents still do stuff like this with chicken pox sometimes. They put their kids in bed together to rub it off. <laughs> you gotta edit that out <laughs> that's terrible but now that we have a chicken pox vaccine people don't have to do that as much thankfully these women would come they would scratch people up with a needle and they would just put some smallpox in there and those people would get sick but not so sick that they died lady mary had her three-year-old son with i her. just wonder how it was different spreading it 
in the natural and organic way out on the streets. You well, know? they would not have it spread anyway. My understanding is that they would get smallpox scrapings from people who had really mild cases. Mm. Lady Mary had her three-year-old son with her in Turkey, and she got him inoculated, and it it went well. Turned out great. So she was like, let's take this back to England and save everyone's lives. Right. She got back there. She told everybody about it, and it did not go well. Oh, no. The church accused her of playing God. Oh, great. Did they drown her? She was not drowned. Oh, good. People compared her to Satan, who they thought was the original inoculator uh, for cursing Job with boils. <laughs> I'm surprised that she survived this ordeal. Oh, she, she survived. Um, yeah. Even though they called her an unnatural mother. The medical community thought that there was no way they could learn anything of medical value from a Muslim culture because oh. this came from Turkey or from a woman. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of opposition, but that didn't stop her. She decided to have her own daughter inoculated in London in public. Mm. It was the first ever smallpox inoculation in England. She even invited the king's doctor to be there to witness it. Wow. Everything went well. Her daughter recovered, never got smallpox, not like real smallpox anyway. Uh -huh. uh, and now people were starting to ask to get inoculated, including Princess Caroline. But the king was like, no. <sighs> he said, we need to know more about this sketchy Eastern medicine. Uh -huh. So they decided to test it. On? On prisoners on death row. Oh, that is so fucked up. Well, they were given a choice. Inoculation. Or death. And they went for inoculation, oh. and it worked out well, because they all survived. Wow. The king wanted to test it some more. <laughs> so they tested it on 11 orphans. Oh, my God. H how do you go from Skid Row to then children? Like, what? you know what I mean? What? How? Um, how is children second on that list of worthless people? Oh, here's how. Uh, the prisoners were on death row. The thinking was... They're going to die anyway. So let's try this thing and see if it kills them. How are orphans second on that list? How are children? Oh, no, no, they're not second. They're a step up. We have a little more faith in it now. The prisoners didn't die. Now we can try it on the orphans. Now we can, now we can try this on the children. Yeah. Like the second guinea pig in the lab is the children. Well, she'd already done her own children. So there was some amount of faith in what might happen. The orphans came out okay, as far as we know. So you're supporting that they worked, they did this on the orphans. I'm supporting that they did the orphans after the prisoners. Well, I don't think they should have done the children first. I'm just surprised that they were in the top five. Well, then when were they supposed to do the orphans? <laughs> you know, third, at least. <laughs> um... Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So these early clinical trials, they went so well that the king eventually allowed two of his granddaughters to be inoculated. Um, he still thought it was too risky for his male descendants. Wow. Yeah. Monarchies. Disgusting. Yeah. Uh, so around 5,000 people were inoculated in mm-hmm. Massachusetts in 1764. John Adams was one of them. And as he describes the process, it was basically like what they did in Turkey, except they made a few decisions to make it a lot more miserable. Uh, these were the steps according to John Adams. Mm-hmm. Step one. You go on a strict diet for weeks before the inoculation. It does sound miserable. No meat. What? No milk. Isn't that all they had back then was no, meat and milk? No butter. They had vegetables. What? Yeah, they, they grew they their grew, own vegetables. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what could he eat then? Just vegetables? Well, he could eat whatever he wanted because he ignored that step. Oh, oh man, after my own heart. Yeah. Uh, step two, you cleanse your system by taking an Ipecac. What's an Ipecac? Uh, I feel like it's an onomatopoeia named for the sound you make when you take it because it's something that makes you vomit violently. Like, oh. Ipecac. I see. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ipecac. well, at least it's not inserted rectally. That's all I have to say. I think we have a new tagline. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what that cleansing accomplished at all. I mean, I get it for, say, like a colonoscopy. Right. You need to clear things out so you can get a little camera up there. Right. They didn't even have cameras back then. And so it's not like they're going to send John Trumbull up there to paint whatever he sees. (laughs) So just like bleeding out, it was a way to empty the body of any germs or viruses, perhaps. Well, they didn't really have germ theory, but I think that was the idea is that they're, they're emptying you. They're putting you maybe in a weakened state so that the smallpox can just take over. Oh, that's my best you. guess. <laughs> you would think that they'd want to be, you know, strong to handle the inoculation, but well, think they had it. a kind of a backwards thinking about illness. Like, let's weaken them well, even further. Imagine you're a doctor and you're taking care of a bunch of people who have smallpox. Mm-hmm. Do you want them to be strong and loud and whiny or do you want them to be kind of weak and tired <laughs> and just sleeping most of the time? Well, you know, as long as I have 10 percent surviving, I think that's good back then, right? I don't 3%. think I'd choose you as my doctor, but sure. <laughs> uh, so step three, right, you go to a sick house where you have to stay there for at least three weeks. With other patients. Yeah. It's like sleepaway camp. Just like sleepaway camp. <laughs> um, step four is the actual inoculation. And that's where they cut a small slice in John Adams's arm. And they deposited what he said was a small thread infected with smallpox. Hmm. They put it in him. They bandaged it up. And that's the moment where you realize that this was the biggest mistake of your life. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) Uh, Step five, you wait. 
Hopefully, you get the fever, you get a few pustules, and you get through it in a few weeks. Has anyone not had a response at all? And then that was one of the worst things that could happen is that it didn't take. Okay. In which case, they'd have to try it again and again until it took. Exactly. For John Adams, though, it took. Good for him. Because this was the first time that John and Abigail were really ever separated, Mm. the first of many, uh, it meant that the only way they could communicate was to write letters. How long were they separated? He was there in quarantine for at least three weeks. Mm. It might have been a little bit longer. I remember you going on a work trip for four days, and it was excruciating for me. And we had phones and texting and... Back then, you had to, like, send letters to each other. And it wasn't even easy. When John Adams wanted to send a letter to Abigail, the fear was that the letter could carry the disease. Mm. So the letters would need to be smoked, which I think involves smoke. (laughs) So he would smoke the letters before they left. But he Mm. was afraid, hey, the air in this place, like, why am I doing this in the smallpox house? He would make sure that Abigail Adams's family's slave Tom would smoke them again when they got to her. She was so excited to read them. This is how she described how excited she was. Mm -hmm. Did you never rob a bird's nest? Do you remember how the poor bird would fly round and round, fearful to come nigh, yet not know how to leave the place? Just so they say I hover round for Tom whilst he is smoking my letters. That's kind of morbid. The poor Robin. Yeah, it's it's equal parts cute and horrifying. Yeah, you're talking about stealing a baby from a bird's nest. Yeah, that's her way of relating. She's basically saying, you know how when you torture a bird and, and all you feel is whimsy and power, but the bird is like squawking, you're ruining my life, you're ruining my life. Well, in this situation, John, I, I'm a little like that bird. <laughs> oh, oh, John, I love you. Uh, I don't know if that scared John off, uh, but at one point he wrote back that his doctors forbade him from writing letters and encouraged him to stick to other amusements like checkers and cards. Why did they say that? I'm not sure why they said it. Uh, Part of me thinks that he was just like, oh, you know, my doctor said (laughs) I can't really write every day. Um, Abigail didn't really go for that idea, though. Oh, good for her. (laughs) She wrote back. It may be those who forbid you cannot conceive that writing to a lady is any amusement. Perhaps they rank it under the head of drudgery and hard labor. (laughs) And then she set a beautiful little trap for him. All I insist upon is that you follow that amusement which is most agreeable to you, whether it be cards, checkers, music, writing, or romping. (laughs) romping. Yeah, because there's nothing sexier than other smallpox quarantine patients. (laughs) Romping? Romping with them. I mean... I am defining romping correctly in my head, right? I'm not exactly sure what romping meant. I don't think it meant anything dirty. I thought it meant like shagging. No, I I don't believe so. Um, If anything, maybe just just jumping on the bed, like frolicking. Frolicking about in the quarantine? Yeah. Okay. He basically was saying like, only write to me if you enjoy it. Right. He kept writing to her. Right. He was feeling a little bit better. He decided Mm. it was the perfect time to tell her all of her faults. (laughs) Why not? Why not? First, he joked that she doesn't play enough cards and has bad habits of reading, writing, and thinking. (laughs) Damn woman. Right? He was being a little playful there. But then, because he's John Adams and he can't help himself, he added some actual criticism. (laughs) He said, you could never yet be prevailed on to learn to sing. (laughs) 
you very often hang your head like a bulrush. <laughs> and a bulrush is, it's a cattail. You know, that plant that looks like a corn dog on a stick that's usually next to a pond. Oh, those are so playful. I love them. But apparently Abigail Adams bobbed her head like a corn dog in the wind. <laughs> Delish. He also told her, you do not sit erected as you ought. And he said, another fault, which seems to have been obstinately persisted in after frequent remonstrances, advices, and admonitions of your friends is that of sitting with the legs across. So can you decipher that for me? Is, is he criticizing her for sitting with her legs uncrossed? I can't tell if... It sounds like there's a right way and a wrong way to cross your legs, and she was doing it wrong. The wrong way. Or maybe like sitting with the legs across meant like across the couch. Just <laughs> wide open and all the time, every day, everybody was saying, Abigail, mind your legs. <laughs> Abigail, mind your legs. Uh, she sounds wonderful. <laughs> um, but that wasn't all that was wrong with her. Did he just jump into these criticisms? She, she's, she sends her little manipulation his way, and then... Um, he barrels back with criticisms. I think it? that it started off with, hey, we're going to be getting married. We should let each other know like what all, all of our things. faults are. All Why things. not? <laughs> all the things that bother us. Yeah. He told her, a sixth imperfection is that of walking with the toes bending inward. This imperfection is commonly called parrot toad, I think. I know not for what reason. <laughs> so according to John Adams's smallpox-addled brain, Abigail couldn't sing. She couldn't hold her head up like a normal person, and her legs were just stupid. <laughs> she didn't know what to do with them in any given situation, walking, sitting. <laughs> she sounds uh, wonderful to me. She wrote back. Oh, I can't wait. I think a gentleman has no business to concern himself about the legs of a lady. Oh, yeah, girl. Then she criticized him. She told him he was intimidating, and it was impossible for a stranger to be tranquil in your presence. Basically, she told him, hey, I thought you should know your very presence makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> well, it's just interesting that, I mean, all he was talking really about were physical attributes. Now, she, <laughs> she, you know, and now she barrels back with attributes about his character. Yeah. You know. it's like Does she get to his looks? Because it's not like he was, you know, Fabio. No, he insulted his own looks in plenty of letters, but I don't think she went there. She basically just said, okay, okay, all right, you're a monster. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've had similar conversations where we, like, talk about, hey, what could I do better? But it, and it's like, you. I can imagine you, like, showing up with a... a thick file folder and just saying, hey, I'm wondering if there's anything you think I could do differently or better. Just let me know. And then uh, let me know when it's my turn. <laughs> it does sound familiar. It does. Mm -hmm. hmm. <laughs> but you hardly criticize my physical attributes. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you don't you don't come to me with a list of, of issues. I would never with my do physicality. that. I don't have criticisms of your, of your physical attributes. Well, I appreciate that. But I also think that that's something of the times as well. It's true. Maybe well, it's not appropriate to talk about my physical attributes. And if it were, maybe you would have. Or maybe the weird stuff you do with your legs is just more acceptable now. More exciting. <laughs> Speaking of exciting, Abigail got really excited when John was about to be released from quarantine. I bet. She wrote to him about um, a reunion she just witnessed between another couple <laughs> um, who she said they barely said, how do ye to each other? Uh -huh. And they just smiled at each other. And she told John, I was affected with it and thought whether Lysander, under like circumstances, could thus coldly meet his Diana and whether Diana 
could with no more emotion receive Lysander. What think you? <laughs> That's kind of like us practicing our kiss when we got married. I couldn't stand the thought of, you know, just looking very uninvolved in that moment. Yeah, you had to make sure that our kiss at our wedding <laughs> captured all the love that we felt in an appropriate way right. and wasn't too restrained. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I feel that she was worried about as well. Yeah. So I relate to her. And she let him know, like, hey, before you get out of that quarantine, you better be ready to show some affection. Yeah, I love um, it. She might have lacked tenderness and fondness when she was 15 and didn't even know him, but now she was making up for that. And she <laughs> was making him show her tender fondness. And I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know exactly how that reunion went because they were together and they had no reason to write to each other about it. But I'm guessing he didn't disappoint her. I think he probably held her corn dog head in her hand <laughs> and gave her a big old proper smallpox recovery kiss. <laughs> And she wrapped her Elastigirl legs around, <laughs> <Yeah>. around him. <laughs> he could probably barely move. And then she tried to sing and cleared out the whole courtyard. Wonderful. He came out of the whole inoculation process just fine. The worst of it was headaches, heavy vomiting, back aches, knee aches, something called gagging fever, and some pockmarks. Gagging fever? Yeah. I mean, it's probably where you're really hot and gagging. <sighs> okay. He said he was a lot luckier than some of the people who got the disease in the natural way. He said there was one man who was no more like a man than he is like a hog or a horse, swelled to three times his size, black as bacon, blind as a stone. Oh, it's very depressing. It's depressing that they burn their bacon so much back then. <laughs> I mean, I like crunchy bacon, but... Oh. John was pretty upset with Abigail's parents for not letting her get inoculated. And I love this quote. He said... Parents must be lost in avarice or blindness who restraint their children from inoculation. Mm. Can you think of a comparison to today? Of parents who don't let their kids get vaccinated for their own uh, personal oh, reasons? No, no, I can't think, I of, can't think of anything. No, me neither. Well, that was the end of John's smallpox inoculation story, but not Abigail's. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Abigail gets inoculated too. 12 years later, 1776. The Revolutionary War is raging. John Adams is off doing his Continental Congress stuff. Uh, smallpox was even more widespread then. Mm. John Adams said, disease has destroyed 10 men for us where the sword of the enemy has killed one. Hmm. So at this point, Abigail was 32. She had four kids and nobody could tell her what she could or couldn't do. So mm -hmm. she decided to get herself and her kids inoculated and she didn't even tell John about it ahead of time. Oh, wow. She knew he would be in favor of it. But she didn't write to him until after she got the procedure. Were they in quarantine at that point when she wrote to him? Yeah. It's a big decision to make. It alone. is. Definitely. Uh, that was the first of many times they would be separated and she would be making big decisions about how to manage the farm and the children. I mean, she ran the household. Yeah. As much as she wanted to hear from him when he was in quarantine, she wanted to hear from him even more when she was in quarantine. Mm. She wrote to him, I shall write you now very often. Pray inform me constantly of every important transaction. Every expression of tenderness is a cordial to my heart. Unimportant as they are to the rest of the world, to me they are everything. And she underlined everything. Mm. You know, when you're sick, you just, every little ounce of love means a lot. Yeah, and I think she was curious about how the Declaration of Independence and other things were going, because that was being written and signed during this time. Wow. 
Before John got this letter, he'd heard what was happening to her from a friend, not even from her. He didn't hear how they were doing, just that they were going through this life-threatening treatment. He was stuck in Philadelphia. No one was telling him anything, and he was pissed. If you want to know what John Adams sounds like when he's pissed off here. (laughs) Do my friends think that I've been a politician so long as to have lost all feeling? Do they suppose I've forgotten my wife and children? Or have they forgotten that you have a husband and your children a father? What have I done or omitted to do that I should be thus forgotten and neglected in the most tender and affecting scene of my life? Wow. He reined it in a little bit. This was a letter to Abigail. Yeah. And he said, don't mistake me. I don't blame you. Your time and thoughts must have been wholly taken up with your own and your family's situation and necessities. But 20 other persons might have informed me. Yeah. I agree with him. Yeah. I mean, back then it was all about communication. I mean, that was the only way I think one for of, anyone to know anything. I think one of the biggest problems is that uh, the time it would take to get a letter was inconsistent. So she'd already written to him to tell him what had happened, but it took a long time for him to get that. So he was hearing from people in person. He finally got her letters, and that was a huge relief to him. She told him, our little one stood the operation manfully. Oh, Um, babies it tore him up that he couldn't be there he said i feel i shall feel like a savage to be here when my whole family is sick at boston but it cannot be avoided Mm. and he told her i would very joyfully agree to have the smallpox over again for the sake of the company Mm. she came through the procedure okay the kids were a mixed bag their oldest 11 year old nabby she had a really hard time with terrible fevers body aches painful erupting pustules all over her body did she survive she did survive oh my gosh um a young nine-year-old john quincy adams who is my favorite as you know uh he went through it like a champ Uh, i'm sure he did yeah of course (laughs) the other two boys needed to be inoculated multiple times oh i think young charles needed to be inoculated three times before it finally took And when he finally got it, he was delirious for days. It took him weeks to recover. Mm. They all survived, but for a while it was touch and go. It wasn't a sure thing at all. Oh, wow. But Abigail got them through it. She was a badass. (laughs) She was. Even when her family was suffering through inoculation and quarantine, she found the time to share her political opinions with John about the brand new nation. Mm. So her daughter was like just covered in pustules and doing terribly. And... Abigail wrote to John about what she thought the government needed to succeed. If you complain of neglect of education and sons, what shall I say with regard to daughters who every day experience the want of it? Yeah. And she told him, she said, if we mean to have heroes, statesmen and philosophers, we should have learned women. The world perhaps would laugh at me and accuse me of vanity. But you, I know, have a mind too enlarged and liberal to disregard the sentiment. <laughs> so she's ahead of her time. Definitely. Brilliant. And Sounds like he may have been too, but there were a lot of fights to fight back then. For sure. And she knew how to appeal to his vanity. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. You're way too smart to <laughs> oppress to women. For, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love how we have these glimpses into how they communicated when they were separated like this. Mm-hmm. It brings them to life. It shows how strong they were, especially her. Mm-hmm. So... That is the inoculation of John and Abigail Adams. Wow. Um, It's one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite posts of yours on your blog. Thank you. 
So speaking of the blog, the whole project for me, it started with me wanting to know more about American history. Mm -hmm. And I thought biographies of each president would be the most accessible. And I decided to read one. And you bought me my first biography. And I remember that. I remember I put it in your stocking. You did. And I remember this journey being initiated. And it was just, you know, something you decided to do as a reading project. But we had no idea it would develop to what it is today. Yeah. So I don't think that our correspondence quite matches up to John and Abigail's. We don't have a lot of correspondence. Well, we don't have letters. And exactly. I've, I've looked through our long archive of instant messages since before we were together. That actually is true. We do have quite a few correspondences. We do. And it, they it don't can... they don't measure up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe there's something I could share. But it just it's it's a uh, nobody needs to hear that. <laughs> um, but I will say that I feel just as lucky as John Adams to have my own Miss Adorable across the table from uh, me. Thank you. And I'm glad you're joining me on this journey. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad to be here. It's really exciting to hand over control. Thank I definitely you. have issues with that. Oh. I have to control a lot, just like Abigail in her own way, I think. She had control over a lot, even him in some ways. She definitely had a way of turning his head and um, having him notice important things as he was founding the country. Yeah, so, she played a huge role in that. Yeah. Um, but thanks for being here, and please mind your legs. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, enjoy your combined Valentine's and President's Day holidays. You can find more on plottingthroughthepresidents.com or our Facebook page. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe, write a review, tell your friends. And until next time, thank you for plotting along. Thanks. I thought this was like a historical podcast. <laughs>